Hey, a, a, a couple, couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple, uh, Staples came up with this little toy that they distributed in their stores. Anybody ever seen one of these? Anybody have one on your desk? Anybody? Oh, yeah. All right. You got one on your desk because when days are really, really bad, you reach across and you go. That was easy. All right. And, and, and you hit this button because you, they, they, the idea was it's so easy to order from them. It's so easy to get stuff from them. They can solve your problems for you. We live in this easy button society where we want things how we want them, when we want them, the way that we want them, and we want them the easier, the better. Let's take, for example, some of you have a love for shopping, and you love Amazon Prime. All right? I'm picking on myself here, right? Amazon Prime, if you're not aware of that and you live under a rock, all right? Amazon Prime is this really cool thing that you can do online where you order stuff on Amazon, you pay once a year for shipping, and then it's free, quote, free for the rest of the year. And magically, it just, it's, it's like magic. You order something on a Monday. Sometimes it's there on a Tuesday. But here's the deal. If you go on Amazon and, it, and that the thing that you're buying doesn't have that little Prime sticker beside it, you know what you do? You click on something else. Because why? Because we expect things easy. We expect things the way we want them, when we want them. And if they can't get it to us tomorrow, then I'm not waiting until Friday. Because that's the culture that we live in. We've grown up in this culture. Stay up until 2 a.m. and you'll learn 10 ways to lose 10 pounds by tomorrow morning. Why? Because that's the way that we function. Everything must be easy. Everything must be non-committal. If I can be a part of that and I can re remain anonymous in the local church, if I can do all these things, and it's carried over to preaching. A couple years ago, there was this article about the best ways to preach. 22 minutes is the prime target because that's the length of the modern sitcom. I've never preached 22 minutes in my life. Don't amen that, okay? <laughs> and here's, what, here's, what, here's the challenge. In 22 minutes, here's what I'm supposed to accomplish, just so you know. I'm supposed to make you laugh, cry, engage, worship, dig deep, but not too deep, all right? Deliver the best application that you've never, ever heard from a passage of Scripture that nobody else in the world has ever come up with in the history of mankind. And I'm, while I'm doing that, I can never address money, politics, or immorality, if, especially if it's one of your issues. Drop the mic, leave the stage. That's what preaching, that's what some say that preaching has become, because why? Because we live, even in many of our ideas of Christianity, it's easy button. And we've grown up with, and there is culture, and there is teaching, and there are pastors who teach, if you give this percentage, you'll get 400% fold. If you do this one thing, then you'll never be sick in the rest of your life. If you follow Jesus on this moment, then everything will be a perfectly smooth ride the rest of your life. Easy button. Give me what I want, pastor. When I want to hear it, how I want to hear it. There's a problem with that. It's not biblical. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not the example that Jesus said. And so as we are leaving this series of the last 11 weeks, this pattern series, well, these, this, this week and next week, we're looking at two really profoundly difficult passages of the Scripture. And here's why they're difficult. Because they're not easy. Because they're not things that fit comfortably and feel smooth and easy to us. 
Jesus paints the picture of reality of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, in Luke chapter 14, uh, he has begun to preach. He's begun to heal. Miraculous things are taking place. He's got his 12 that are traveling with him. But the crowds, quite honestly, are growing. The crowds are growing. And if you've ever been to Winter Jam or Outcry or one of these massive concerts, those are imposters of the original Jesus movement, okay? Jesus is moving. It's revolutionary. People are being healed. People are following. And we come to this passage of Scripture that right in the middle of this movement, Jesus says something. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26 says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Oh my, that's not the way to have a movement, is it? That's not a way to increase the crowds. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going to stand in the background going, did you, did you, should somebody tell him to stop? Like we got a great crowd going on here. I mean, this is massive. The the Pharisees are watching. The the Sadducees are taking a glimpse of this. We got this whole crowd here and he's telling them that they got to hate mother, father, brother, sister, wife, family. What in the world is he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's raising the stakes for being a disciple. He's sifting through the miracle junkies. Those that just gathered around the crowd. Because why? Because they were there. They saw the miracles. And man, we want to see more of this. Jesus did not say, follow me and your life will be easy and happy-go-lucky and riches will be yours. Follow me and you'll never experience any dangers in life. You'll never be sick. And every question that you ask me or prayer request will always be yes even if it's against scripture that's not what jesus says he says hate your father and your mother now time out you you may say i I, i've I've never come across this is jesus contradicting the ten commandments in our western minds thinking deliberately just straight through this you may come up with that synopsis or that uh, decision but we need to examine that in light of all scripture in matthew chapter 10 verse 37 jesus speaks to this but as we go on through this passage what jesus is trying to get them to do is say do you love anything else more than me Do you love anything else more than me? Is anything else a priority more than me? If so, I mean, if you're one of the disciples and you're still a mama's boy, if so, you cannot be my disciple. Does this statement from Jesus grab your attention? Does mine. I've been reading it this week, but I also had it on my, uh, my phone so that I could listen to it this week. And I, I kept listening to it, and I was listening to it because I was listening for the easy button moment. I was like, where's, where's the simple sermon illustration for me to give? Where's the, in 30 minutes, let me give you three points in a poem. You guys go home, and life will be simple. It's not there. What is there is Jesus saying, let me tell you the pattern of disciple that I need. Why? Because Jesus knew what they were going to encounter. 
He knew what they were going to encounter. He knew that he was going to experience death and resurrection. He knew that as upon his death, this small group of disciples was going to be gathered and huddled in a house, scared to death and wondering, what's going to happen to us now? He knew that once he was resurrected and empowered them with the Holy Spirit, that they would go to all nations and in many of those places would be martyred and persecuted for their faith. And he's raising the stakes now to say, you don't know what's coming, but do you love anything more than me? Do you really want to be my disciple? Jesus makes it clear that being a disciple is costly. Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was seeking disciples. He wasn't seeking employees or, or best friends or click or a group to hang around with. Jesus was seeking those and teaching those who would carry the torch of the cross who would carry the message of the cross of Jesus Christ forward, who would carry the teachings of Jesus Christ of himself forward into humanity. And he needed to ensure that it wasn't just those who'd gathered because they wanted to see another miracle. Because he knew when hard times would hit them, they'd be gone. He needed people that were crazy about being a disciple, that were committed above everything else about being a disciple. I don't know if you remember the first time that you, you fell in love. Middle school, high school. Um, we do some crazy things, don't we? That first romance, whatever you want to call it, and, and we, we build that relationship, and you, you say things, and you spend time with them, and you get all mushy and gooey, and you, you, know, you feel weird inside. And, and guys, you buy bracelets, and you put them on teddy bears, and she gets half the heart. You get the other half of the heart, and you know, it gets really messy when you break up. And who gets the heart? All right, all these things happen, and, and you spend so much time on the phone talking, that was my generation. Next generation, texting. Next generation, you're, you're Snapchat dating, okay? And you're building this relationship through all of this. And you act crazy. Why? Because you're, you want to be committed to that other person. You don't care what other people think. You don't care what's ahead of you. You just say, man, I, I'm so in love. And Jesus says, if you want to fall in love with my teachings, it's going to cost you a tremendous amount. Your livelihood, your family. This isn't a 30-day plan. This isn't a three steps to completion by the rest of the afternoon plan crowd. This is life. Then he makes a statement that most of the people there, if not all, would have no clue what he's talking about. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, at this point, Jesus is alive. He has not been crucified. Was crucifixion already a form of punishment and death for those who were the worst criminals of the day? It was already in practice. So the people would have known of crucifixion, but here Jesus introduces this into his conversation. He says, Whatever, whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That had to leave them scratching their heads. Bear your own cross? Your cross beam? Carry those burdens? Carry those? What's the reference here? And come after me cannot be my disciples. What he was asking is, have you counted the cost? Have you, have you thought about what this is really going to cost you to follow Jesus Christ? 
Have you thought about what it's really going to cost to be my disciple? What may come? I'm, I'm raising the stakes. I'm giving you a little bit more of a picture. And then he says, he gives two illustrations in verses 28 through 33 of, of how they can think about this. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Imagine you decide in the housing boom right now, we're going to go build a new house, and you, you hire a contractor, you get your plans, you sit down with him, you, you outline the plans, and, and he says, how much are you willing to spend? And you go, I don't know. I, mean, I, got, I got some equity. I, I don't know. Just, just start building. And they pour the foundation, and they put the footings in, and they begin to put the walls up, and the the builder comes to you and says, hey, this is going to be about how much? And you go, oh, no, I, I can't spend that. I don't have that kind of money. That would be called foolishness. That's what Jesus is saying. Count the cost before you jump in line with the Jesus movement. Before you go from town to town, moving about, listening to the teachings of Jesus, and you make difficult decisions, let me just tell you to count the cost. Or what king, verse 31, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him or comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is a contrary message to the American church, quite honestly. This is a contrary message than what most would say. Give me a 22-minute sermon, make me laugh, make me cry, make me feel good, send me home, 30 minutes and I'm out. That's not the message of Jesus. He says, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He knows they're going to encounter hardship. He knows they're going to encounter pain. He knows they're encounter suffering and tribulation, even death. But why would they do this? These statements are so contrary to the church of today. Jesus didn't say, become my disciple, and in a couple of years, you'll reach the, the height of Christianity because you'll be a bestseller in Christian bookstores. He doesn't say, hey, apostles, you stick with me, and one day there's going to be statues of you all over the world, thousands of years after you've died. He doesn't say, be my disciple, and you'll gain tons of followers on social media. You'll be popular. Come, come be my disciple. You'll preach a, one of your best sermons ever, and it'll go viral on YouTube. You'll be a pop sensation. He didn't say, be my disciple, wear a bracelet that asks a question of what would Jesus do or slap on a t-shirt or slap on a bumper sticker and that will say you're committed to being a disciple. He says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is seeking disciples and being a disciple is costly. So why do it? I thought about this this week. Why, why become a disciple? If you're listening to this in this century, in this time period, and this guy's doing miracles, and he lays this down before you, why be a disciple? You see, they didn't have what we have. We now can say with great, great clarity and great conviction, 
Well, we trust in who Jesus Christ is because we know what Jesus did. We know that Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died for our sinfulness. We know that three days later he was raised from the dead and conquered sin and death and and gave us the opportunity for grace and forgiveness and mercy and for eternal life. We know and can read and see the experience of the early church. Why be a disciple? Because you were dead in your sins. And Jesus Christ was a payment for your sinfulness. And as a response, he says, give me your everything. Give me everything you got. Give me your decision. Give me your finances. Give me your relationships. This is not quick fix Christianity. This is not drive through pickup. Christianity. It's not drive through and say, yeah, it's Monday morning. I'll take a, a cup of Jesus, no struggles, no cost. And if you could leave aside any difficulties with anybody who's not a believer. Why be a disciple? Because you were dead in your sins and Jesus Christ served as a payment for your sins. Faithful followers of Jesus will continually count the cost. But know this, The cost of following will never equal the cost of the gift. The cost of following will never equal the gift, meaning the cost of following for you and I, the difficult decisions that we will make financial with our lives, with our relationships, will never equal the gift that God has offered for us through Jesus Christ. They will never equal out. There will always be a greater gift that's been given for each of us. So how do we evaluate? How do we look at this passage and Walk away from here just not feeling miserable, right? Maybe it was just me. Felt miserable. You read through this and you go, I'm a failure at this. How do we evaluate? So I want to I give you a couple questions. They're, they're not anything you haven't heard before, but I want to offer these to you. How do you know if you're on the road to being a disciple? First one, are you developing an intimate relationship with Jesus? Are you developing an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And I use the word intimate there on purpose because in that word, there's a vulnerability. There is a willingness to let down your walls. There's a willingness to allow others to step into your life for accountability to pour into you, to live life with other people. It's a closeness beyond friendship that I'm speaking of. This is not fly-by-night relationship with Jesus. This is daily digging in deep with Jesus Christ. Are you developing relationships with other people that are helping you grow in your love of Jesus Christ? I, I loved between services today. I, I had a quick meeting um, with, with two young ladies that were in our first service. Uh, one of you, I'm not sure if you're in this room or not, uh, has been discipling this one of these young ladies who came to interview for a job and man, you led her to Christ, like bam, led her to Christ. And now she's growing her faith and she's talking about baptism. And not only is this person being guided. They didn't just say, hey, here's Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He trusts them with your life, and they walked out the door. No, they've been walking for months with them. What does it mean to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And this young lady just had a glow on her face. And not only that, but she brought a guest who didn't grow up in church. 
because somebody is helping them develop an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I love this week sitting across the table from, from one of the men in our church who's in his mid-60s, and he's been studying Scripture, memorizing Scripture like he did when he was a young believer, and he said, my faith is now more alive than ever. Sixty-some years old. I love sharing one of you who grabbed me at the grocery store. I love you also texting me to tell me that you've made a specific grocery store in our town your mission field. Like you said, that's mine. Stay away. No, that's mine. That's my mission field. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm growing in my faith. And that's where God has placed me. And that's where God has prepared me to be. I love those moments of hearing of people who are growing in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Second thing is, second question, have you made costly decisions in order to be obedient to Jesus? We, we automatically go with that question for many of us financially. Have we made any financial difficult decisions that are costly? But I want you to, to dig even further than that. Ha, have you made any costly decisions with the relationships that you've had to cross into a relationship and to, to venture into that relationship and share Christ in an uncomfortable situation? Have you examined the relationship with neighbors? Have you done some things outside of the box as we've walked through for the last 15 weeks, prepared a meal, driven across town to help someone, modeled the life that Jesus has lived? Have you made costly decisions to follow Jesus? Now see, when I come to this passage, one of the things I got to tell you, when I think of this passage, one of the first group of people that you may think of that I think of, I think this sounds like missionary people. And what I mean by that is growing up in church, I always saw these people come into our church and they were missionaries. And they, in my mind, were super Christians, right? I mean, they had given their lives, sacrificed it all, traveled thousands of miles to move to another place to share Jesus. And they are absolutely incredible people. And at times, I think we designate disciples like this in this passage for only that class of Christian. I mean, it's for pastors and for ministers and worship people and missionaries. Hear me when I say this this morning. Disciple-making and being a disciple is not validated by the distance you travel, but by the daily life that you live. Listen to me this morning, because I know some of you bounce yourself out of the conversation. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not a disciple because I'm not as good as those folks. I don't travel as far from, I can't even get on a plane, Pastor. You guys talk about these mission trips, and man, I can't even leave town. I just don't like it. It's not my thing. The dis distance you travel does not validate you as a disciple. The daily life you live in the relationships, in the responsibilities that God has placed you is a step of obedience. And every single person in this room that is trusted in Jesus, you are a disciple. And you don't have to travel 3,000 miles. You don't have to travel across the state. You have been placed in a work environment and a family environment that God has placed you in for the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus. The third question really tags with that last point is this. Does the idea of being a disciple always sound like a job for somebody else? I mean, that, that's... 
that's the person that made a commitment to leave this place or make those difficult decisions. That, that, that person, man, I, I watch them and they can memorize this and they can do this. It's, it's for somebody else. Disciple making and being a disciple is not the job of somebody else. It's the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. It's the opportunity of every follower of Jesus Christ. And we've been pounding for 20 weeks almost about loving our neighbor, about loving the Lord your God, about setting a pattern. And this week and next, we're going to raise the stakes through the teachings of Jesus to say, are we ready to be what this world desperately needs, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to make costly decisions? And are we willing to say, being a disciple is not for somebody else. It's me. It's every teenager, every child, every adult, every senior adult in this room this morning. Disciple making, being a disciple is not someone else's job. It is our opportunity. This week I, I was reading, studying for this morning, and I read this prayer that was another pastor had preached this passage, and at the end of it he posed this prayer for his congregation, and I absolutely love it. It says this, Jesus, if you've got a bulletin this morning, it's in there. If not, you can grab it on the way. Jesus, whatever you say, I believe in you. Whatever you do, I trust you. Wherever you lead, I will follow you. I devote myself to you above all others. I give up all my desires and pursuits for yours. There is no cost too great for being your disciple. I abandon everything that I may come after you, for you alone are worthy. Amen. Is this our prayer? Let me read that again. Whatever you say, I believe you. Whatever you do, I trust you. Wherever you lead, I'll follow you. I devote myself to you above all others. I give up my desires, my pursuits for you. There is no cost too great for being your disciple. I abandon everything that I may come after you, for you alone are worthy. Let's pray this morning.